We are outdoor ladies who hunt, fish, camp, and more, all while working in conservation. I am Julia Plugi with the Nebraska Game and Parks Commission. And I'm Rachel Alice with the Iowa Department of Natural Resources. And I am Tana Wagner with the Kansas Department of Wildlife and Parks. And we want to see you outdoors. Welcome back to She Goes Outdoors. I'm one of your hosts, Tana, joined today by the fabulous Julia Plugi and Rachel Alice. And we are excited to talk to you today about some awesome habitat initiatives, some wonderful partners, and uh, just some great efforts all around. So as you all know, the Midwest is blessed with beautiful habitat desired by many different wildlife species. It's not exactly the flyover state people claim or flyover states, I should say, that people claim it to be. So, you know, our passionate state fish and wildlife agencies, our partners in non-government organizations or NGOs, as we sometimes call them, such as Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever, um, our landowners and our conservationists across the Midwest are diligently working together to save the natural landscape and the wildlife that um, utilize it for survival. So, in addition to saving these native landscapes just for their beauty and their wonder, it's also important that we preserve these areas for the habitat and all of the species that that habitat supports. So I am so excited today, Julia, to be talking about habitat and some of the initiatives to preserve habitat across the Midwest. Me too, Tana. I am extremely excited to have a conversation today with our guest and, and talk about our, our habitats because, you know, our habitats in Iowa and Kansas and Nebraska here look very similar. Um, but I got to take, uh, I'm going to do a little bragging here on Nebraska like we do. We got to take some ownership in our own state. And Nebraska has been leading the charge in habitat restoration for upland birds. And that's upland game birds. And just as Kevin Costner did in Field of Dreams, going to give some love to our partner there in Iowa. You build it. Rightfully so. Right, right. Field of Dreams. You build it. They will come. So the grassland established uh cover and feeding resources that that have been built have been restored um you know the the birds will come you you build it they will come the upland birds will come to that that habitat that they they desire and with the establishment of the diverse upland bird population we now have the opportunity or the challenge to hunt these birds um, they they're here we now have the conservation effort to help them manage that population so more to come about that conversation in the episode, but I am very excited for this week's guest as she naturally fits into this conversation. Kelsey Warman is a state coordinator for the Nebraska Pheasants Forever Quail Forever. Stay tuned in this conversation, not only as she a professional in this field that we have introduced, but she is also an adult onset hunter. So we're excited to hear her story. Welcome, Kelsey. Please introduce yourself and then like explain your role as a mom, as your and then also as a state coordinator for the Nebraska PFQF. Yeah, hi. Thanks for inviting me to join you on this podcast. Um, I'm Kelsey Worman. I'm the state coordinator for Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever here in Nebraska. And I've been uh, with Pheasants Forever for almost 16 years now, and about half of that time has been in the state coordinator role. Um, prior to that, I was the Farm Bill wildlife biologist and, and worked with private landowners um, in a couple different areas of the state. 
And so as state coordinator, I oversee, I help create and oversee a lot of the habitat programs we have. Um, and we partner with the Nebraska Game and Parks Commission and, and natural, the Natural Resources Conservation Service and Farm Service Agency um, all the time in all these habitat programs. And uh, so um, currently we have um, what has become the, um, our most popular program is the Pathway for Wildlife program. And that's where um, we have about 30 wildlife biologists across the state that go out and work with private landowners to help create habitat and restore habitat on their properties. And um, with Nebraska being 97% privately owned, that's really, really important. And and not all of those private landowners come to us because they want pheasants. Um, they come to us because they want to um, maybe conserve their soil or they want better grass for ranching or they like the aesthetics of um, different pollinator pollinator habitat. It, it's a really wide variety of reasons why people uh, come and work with our farm bill biologists. And so our mission is to really find those win-win scenarios where, you know, a farmer has the economic value um, to keep keep farming that operation um, while putting those odd areas back into habitat or, you know, it, Generally, what is good for ranching and cattle production is also good for for habitat um, for the grouse species that we have. And so we we spend um, you know just more recently we've put in a lot of effort within the last five years of the cedar tree encroachment issue and clearing cedar trees primarily in the sand hills. That's been a really big focus, and in turn that helps the rancher. So the, those cedar trees will basically outcompete those grasses and then they lose stocking rates. But, but for us, the benefit is better nesting cover for our grassland songbirds, our pheasants, our quail, um, and most, most importantly in, in that area, the, the grouse, the prairie grouse um, we have. We have sharp-tailed grouse and greater prairie chickens. And so that's, a, that's been a big focus lately. And then, uh, like I mentioned, I just kind of oversee the biologist program and, and work with all of our great partners in the state. I really like how, I guess, she's got a little bit of a, a niche, a special niche, because she also has that agriculture background and the biologist side of it. And so that, that's not real common. So you, you're able to connect with those landowners on both sides of perspective, say, hey, you know, I also have this agriculture background. I totally get where you're coming from. Here's where the understanding of how we can, we can be a partner on the biologist side as well. Yeah, that the practical on the ground experience is is really important, and and we talk about that with our farm bill biologists and and our staff across the state because you know what we see as prime habitat, you know that that farmer it, it's expensive to actually create habitat, and so you have to really have a desire to have that wildlife, and you know it can be depending on what you're wanting, it can be a trade-off. And so trying to figure out that that middle ground where you're not losing production, um, but you're also benefiting wildlife. And so that's that's a lot of what we're looking for. And I did, I grew up on a farm in Southeast Nebraska, uh, south of Fairbury. And then we farm over here. We live uh, south of Hastings down by Nelson. And uh, uh, me and my husband farm and ranch, and we have three kids just, you know, a, a long um, 
family operation there. So, and that's, you know, even on our farm, you know, we do have CRP, we farm, um, we've got some equip um, things that we have uh, converted from cropland to grass, but it was, you know, cropland that just wasn't producing and it, it made economic sense for the cattle side of things to turn that back into grass and then be able to graze it. And of course I like it cause I can hunt. So. <laughs> yes. I remember, I think probably when we were, for, we both were kind of hired at the same time. I was at the game and parks and you were with uh, feds funds forever. And I just remember um, you sitting up there and communicating at Husker harvest days with the landowners and being able to connect with them. And at, like I said, at that time you were a farm bill biologist and now uh, you have progressively, you know, work, worked up that ladder. And now uh, you are with the, the coordinator for the state. Um, did you go to school to be a biologist? Yeah, I did. I went um, to school for fisheries and wildlife. And even before, um, I mean, we talk about this like with um, different pathways throughout careers, but even before I went to school, I volunteered for the Game and Parks Commission. And I also, my very first job with the commission was at Rock Creek Station um, doing landscaping and mowing, like what a lot of people start off doing, they start within that park system and which is really important. And especially when you're 18. And of course I didn't, I didn't have a plan. You know, I was only 18. All I saw was that I could spend my summers mowing and get paid quite a bit of money for it. (laughs) When you're a teenager, that was a lot of money. And so, so that's how I started with the commission, just, um, doing, uh, just, you know, doing maintenance, park maintenance. And I did that all the way through college um, in the summers. And then when I graduated from the UNL, I was hired on as a temporary position um, working with that, what used to be called the CRP MAP program. Now it's open fields and waters. But then I would go out and work with private landowners to enroll their properties within the walk-in access program. And I, I did that for um, two and a half years before I moved to North Platte and became the farm bill biologist out there. We always like to hear the pathways that, that people take to their current roles, because we can all attest that it's not always the uh, straight line you think it is when you're first getting into the field. But that's really cool. And Kelsey, I love the points you emphasized about habitat and the benefits of managing at the habitat level and preserving that healthy native habitat um, and all the different things that can come of that. So even if you're not a big pheasant or upland hunter, um, the pollinators that benefit, the beautiful landscape and the colors of the flowers, um, I I just think that's a really great selling point. And it's awesome to hear you talk about that today. Yeah, thank you. And and in reality, very few people actually come to us because they want pheasant habitat. That's really not that common <laughs> to have a landowner. A lot of farmers don't actually hunt upland birds. And so while they like to see them, and especially quail, I found that they connect a little bit more with quail being a native species. And they like to see them, but they, you know, they also have an operation to run. And so when they're trying to feed their cattle or they're trying to um, do their farming, they're not necessarily saying, well, I really want quail in this area. They're saying, well, I'm going to go harvest. And it's really cool to see these quail. <laughs> Are you seeing as the generation, a new generation has taken over the farm, the farm, the family farm? Are you seeing a, a little bit shift in cha- opinion as far as, okay, I'm not going to plant everything plus my ditch. Are you seeing a little bit more 
understanding and welcoming to reestablish that land for for the upland birds for habitat? You know, some some are getting the the wildlife are a little more emphasized. It's kind of interesting though because I I always feel like the older generation, the ones, you know, primarily our our landowners, I think the average age is like 66, 67. I feel like a lot of, you know, the older ones and then even the the grandpas that are still farming, I feel like they really have that already. And then it almost skipped a generation. And now the grandkids are saying, oh, wow, I really wish that I could see what my grandpa always talks about. And so sometimes I, I feel like, it, you know, they're, they're seeing the consequences of, you know, farming ditch to ditch um, if they have that interest. If they don't have the interest, then it's really difficult to explain how cool that was. <laughs> yeah. No, Kelsey, excuse me. I've, I've heard this term that is um, precision agriculture. For those of us that aren't on the farm that, that maybe don't have that connection, um, can you go into a little bit about sure. kind of Pheasants Forever's push towards precision agri- agriculture? Yeah. Sorry, I can't yep. say that one today. Yep, precision ag. Um, and sometimes we'll also say like precision conservation and so what that what that is, and kind of I guess what we're doing here in Nebraska and some other states, um, we understand that you know CRP may not be the answer for everybody. So that the conservation reserve program is is essentially you know where a farmer converts his cropland to native grassland and and receives an annual payment. However, you know, sometimes the CRP rates are, are low in different counties, and it's just, it may not be economically feasible for that farmer. And, but there might be, you know, uh, borders around that farm, um, around those acres that don't produce as much. And so those are things that we're looking at, like, is there, within a 30-foot buffer, would that make sense to plant that to grass? Whereas, and even sometimes, where more weed competition can be around the border, sometimes that can make sense to plant that to a grass buffer and create that habitat, but also receive that annual payment. Whereas those th- that small buffer, you wouldn't necessarily be producing much of a yield anyway. And so we look at those odd areas and, and that, you know, that's just kind of one piece of that precision ag. There is some software that we're, that we work with that will actually tell you kind of your return on investment. So it looks at your input costs um, versus what the yield prices are um, and how all of that could actually make you more money if you went through conservation programs. Um, So those are things that we're looking at. And then we started here in Nebraska, in central Nebraska, like, um, well, more like York area and those surrounding counties, you know, going through a long-term CRP contract may not be economically feasible because those soils are really productive. It's a very high intense, um, intensive farming area. And so we're looking at areas, you know, does it make sense to maybe plant your corners into a cover crop, into a short-term cover crop, or do um, cereal rye in the winter, or do some sort of cover crop short term on those acres to help build up your soil health. And in that particular area, you could also be providing some habitat that doesn't normally exist. And so we're looking at, you know, different, um, 
different areas that already have some grass cover. So like our waterfowl production areas, um, the Nebraska Human Parks wildlife management areas, looking at those where there's already existing grass for nesting cover, and then they can actually use the cover crop areas as brood rearing cover, winter cover, and escape cover. And so that's a little bit of the precision ag side too. It's just kind of, you know, looking at other options outside of just your typical CRP conversation or your typical, you know, grass conversion conversation. I, I think it's so important and so interesting to, to hear the, you know, a lot of people hear, you know, non-governmental organizations and they're like, oh, they just want to go hunt. Right. right. But, but to take that step back and, and really understand all of the different nuances that, that organizations are doing to really um, not only increase production of birds, and but, but to do so much more for pollinators, trying honestly to work with the ag communities and landowners to better their properties so that they can, you know, make more, they can, their production, higher yields, all those things, um, so that it really is a win-win. And I, it's such an interesting and important point that, you know, I think a lot of times there's a fear that, that especially from state agencies, oh, we just want to come in and take your land, right. which isn't the case. We, we really want to help protect um, and, and support those species and, and those with private land can do so much. Um, you know, when we talk about states like Kansas, Nebraska, Iowa, I mean, here in Iowa, we have 3% public land. So 97% of the land is, is owned by public. So, or excuse me, is in private ownership. So if we weren't working with our, our private lands owners, we'd be in trouble. Right. Right. Yep. And it, it used to be when I started as a farm bill biologist, um, there was only six of us. And so working with private landowners, a lot of times we would get well, do I have to open this up for public access? Or, you know, what, basically, what are the strings attached? Why, why do you care, you know? And, and no, if you work with us, you don't have to open it up for public access. We obviously, you know, have different incentives if you do, but it is not a push by any means. Because if you, you know, as a private landowner, if you're not helping with those wildlife populations, we absolutely will lose them. And so it definitely... Um, you know, we, we look at it as somebody has to produce these birds, whether or not you allow public access or not. So Kelsey, do you find that landowners are surprised by all of the flexibility in the suite of, of solutions that you all offer? We, yes, we do actually. Um, and you know, it, it is important to note, you know, the federal programs are great. The state programs are great. And those, you know, those come with a lot more of a budget than we have. You know, we are definitely just nonprofit, but our niche is, is, has been to work with those farmers and ranchers, help them enroll in those, you know, go through that process because it is, it can be overwhelming to enroll into CRP or another farm bill program. But then we also do have, you know, like our pathways for wildlife program that I had talked about. Um, That's just a one page contract. And especially when we're working with uh, the soil health initiative and and those cover crops, we do, I mean, we get the looks like, this is it? Like, what's the string, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Like, well, the string is you help us produce these birds. (laughs) So, um, and that's it. Yeah, we we do get that 
um, kind of surprise to look. And Kelsey, what does a typical consultation look like? Um, is that like sitting down or going out to kind of walk the land or what would people expect if they were to reach out to you all? Yeah, that's a great question. Generally, we'll go out and look at the property with the landowner. Sometimes they want to be with us. Sometimes they don't. They're, you know, they're busy. They're just like, oh, you know, go out, take a look. But generally, they'll go and ride around with our biologists and kind of point out what what they're looking for, what their objectives are, um, which, again, can can be can range. Um you know, sometimes they're just looking for ways to help with cedar control or locust um, trees or, you know, some other undesirable plant. Um, and then other times they're looking to see, you know, they have non-productive acres that they're looking to enroll into something. And I have to say, Kelsey, um, you know, a lot of times I, I hear about all these initiatives. I'm like, I live in town. I don't have thousands of acres, you know, I, I am not John Dutton. I don't have all of this land. <laughs> so I had to throw in a Kevin Costner reference. Yep. Back to we go again. Um, but that the pathways for wildlife is such a, is such a cool opportunity. Um, from my pretty brief look, it looks like it's open to folks more than just out on the quote unquote farm. looks like it's opened right. a lot more. Uh, opportunity. Can you kind of go into the yeah, Pathways yeah. for Wildlife a little bit more? Sure. Yep. There's um, there's actually three components. One is a grassland component, um, which is your typical, um, you know, private landowner, farmer, rancher, um, and then and also acreage owners. That has kind of been more of a hot spot around Lincoln, um, Lincoln and Omaha. We do have a lot of um, acreage owners, they, they may own five to 10 acres and they don't farm They're So they're not necessarily considered farmers. So they're not in the USDA system. Um, so they don't, you know, they don't have farm numbers. They don't have track numbers. And so a lot of those, those landowners, they don't necessarily even know where to start with conservation. Cause that's not, they're not, you know, they're a lot of them will work, um, a different job and they're, I, I wouldn't even say hobby farmers because they're not necessarily doing that. They just have this property that they want to enhance. And so that has been, especially Lancaster County, that has been a, a really popular program because it is a one-page contract and there's not a lot of strings attached and we'll essentially go out, provide technical assistance um, and provide the financial assistance. A lot of it has been just taking out some trees um, reseeding some areas to improve it for habitat, uh, maybe planting some shrub thickets, uh, that type of stuff, which, you know, in some areas it it's, that can be really time consuming. But when you look at Lancaster County where everything is really in small parcels, if you get enough of those together, which we are starting to get, then it starts to actually matter. And it starts to, build up populations because what we're seeing is neighbors are talking to their neighbors and those things are starting to come together into a complex. And we've had a lot of comments that, you know, they're starting to see pheasants where they haven't seen them for years. And, and so all, a lot of those things are just, you know, they're, they can be time consuming, but you know, if you put all those together, you actually start to make a pretty big impact. Go Lancaster and County. Then, I'm a resident. Woo. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, yeah, and I guess then the other two components would be the soil health one, which I had talked about. And then the other component is the community habitat component through Pathways. And so that could be like a school project or a retirement center or um, a city park, anything that has more of a public benefit within it. And it doesn't necessarily have to be like Lincoln or Omaha. Um, it can be a rural community as well. Or um, sometimes we'll see, we'll do those plantings outside of a USDA center. And so when when individuals are coming into the USDA center, they can see those pollinator plots and say, oh, okay, that's what that looks like. But, uh, and then, yeah, the community habitat, depending on how big it is, um, generally those are a half an acre or less, and we'll provide the seed at 100% cost share. Um, and these are all grants through the Nebraska Environmental Trust as well. And so we apply for this funding through the trust and then, and also um, National Fish and Wildlife um, Foundation, that's another big funding source for us. And, and so we'll apply for those grants. And then when we receive the funding, then we go out and work with these communities or the private landowners. Kelsey, that's awesome. I'm frantically taking notes because I think that, you know, hopefully all of our listeners, you can think of a little area in town that maybe could benefit from something like this. So I know um, I live out in Pretty Prairie, Kansas, and um, we could definitely use something like that. So I will be following up with you to chat more about that. Sure. Yeah. So another component that Pheasants Forever is a great leader on is our mentored hunts, both at the youth, a lot at the youth, but now even focusing on the adult mentored hunt opportunities. And so a few weeks ago, Nebraska PF and Nebraska BOW hosted a Ladies Learn to Hunt Pheasant Weekend. How did, we had a blast. Uh, eight ladies came in from across the state, and they came in with very little knowledge of um, hunting. You know, there, there were some that joined us that had hunted before. Maybe it was just with a rifle, a deer. Uh, maybe it had been years that they had, but they wanted to reconnect with with hunting. So Kelsey and I were both mentors representing our organizations. And it was just a lot of fun to connect with those ladies because Kelsey and I being adult onset hunters, I, th- I believe our other mentors are as well. We were able to work with those mentees on how to safely handle a shotgun, how to shoot that shotgun. And then we took them out on on a land that simulated basically a public land if they were to do it. It was a controlled shooting area, but it, it was that setting where they, they got that concept of how to, you know, where would the pheasant be living? You know, where would they be taking cover? Where would they, uh, they would be in this type of situation. So then we connected with them. We, we kind of, we hope then that they got, they gained that concept to be able to go out on their own. So, but I have to admit, you know, Kelsey definitely had a lot more experience and skill to share because, because she is more an avid bird hunter. And uh, so, but connecting to next on that is, you know, in fact, she recently completed an upland slam. And so when we hear this upland slam, like, okay, we have this, probably have this ball field concept again. Here we go back to Kevin Costner, but, you know, we built it. The birds came, and now we have this upland slam. Will you explain what that is, Kelsey? Yeah, sure. Yep, so five years ago, we worked with the Nebraska Game and Parks Commission, and 
um, we created the the Uplands lamb, which is a challenge to hunters to uh, harvest a sharp-tailed grouse, a greater prairie chicken, a ringneck pheasant, and a bobwhite quail all in the same hunting season. And if you do that, then, and as you go, you enter your submissions and we have monthly prizes um, for just really any submission. But then also at the end of it, um, if you do complete that slam, then you get a certificate and you get entered into a grand prize drawing um, that we do in February after the upland season. And then last year we actually started um, being able to recognize your upland dog as well. And cause that, that's another, um, you know, a lot of times if you ask people why they hunt or um, you know, what got them started, um, a lot of times it can be their dogs, you know, sometimes, or that's what gets them out. And sometimes I, and I'm the same way. Sometimes I'm like, oh my gosh, these dogs are driving me nuts. They need to go out. Let's sign. I'm like, it's cold, but whatever. I'll just take your eyes out. Cause you're going to really enjoy it. Um, and so that can, that can um, be a big motivator. And, and I also have found like, if you're a new hunter and, if you commit to an upland dog, you know, especially like a high energy one, you're, you're committed, you know, you're going to be dedicated. <laughs> and so, um, so we came up a way, with a way to recognize your dog. And so we have a certificate and a, a dog tag as well. And so for finishers, you can submit your dog information and then, then you'll also get like an upland slam um, pin for your vest or hat too. I can just see all these dogs running around, like showing off all their, their pins and stuff. You know, you have, right. the, you have the proud hunter, but you, sometimes you have the, the dog that's even more excited because of all the hard work that they just did. And that's a yes. great idea to, to recognize those guys, those four-legged hunters also. When we, uh, when we were on this mentored hunt, I found myself probably, you know, watching the dog more and just like at awe of what they could do. And just, and, and we had the, we, we had an opportunity to have probably eight different dogs go out in the field with us and just watch it. Everyone, every one of them had their unique uh, skill, their trade of what they did. And I kind of just like, I just want to walk and be with the dog. I didn't even have to have right. a firearm in my hand just because they they're from phenomenal and what they take on and do in the field. Yep. Yeah. And there's, you know, there's a lot of different breeds out there and um, you know, that you have the, the flushing breeds and then you have the pointing breeds and it is, it's really incredible. And then you have people that have both. And so what they'll do is they'll wait for the dogs to point the pointing dogs, and then they send their flushers in to go flush the birds. And so it's really cool to just watch the different dynamics of how those birds or how those dogs work in the field. And I, I hunted without a dog for a while. And now that I have dogs, I I'd prefer not to hunt without a dog. <laughs> I have to say, so I'm, I, our listeners know that often our now 11 year old hunts with us and he usually has a stick. So I kind of poke fun that he's our dog because he rouses everything up. Granted, he's behind me. So sometimes that doesn't work so well, but I, I have hunted with a dog a few times and I have to admit, I sometimes I have missed a shot before I actually didn't even take the shot because I was so excited just watching the dog go by that I completely missed this giant flying pheasant and uh, 
my bad, but it, it was just fun watching the, the dogs just go to work. Um, so Nebraska is lucky enough to have four different upland species. Um, here in Iowa, we have two that you can hunt, really. We have quail and pheasant. Um, I, I personally find it hard enough to successfully harvest those two. So I can't even imagine <laughs> the the four. Um can you tell us a little bit more about your journey? Sure. I imagine you had to get some miles under you to, yeah. to get around the state to, to make that opportunity happen. Yep. Yeah. So there are parts of the state that have all four species um, within somewhat close proximity, but not very many. Um, that would be like, you know, kind of north central Nebraska. You can, um, and it, as long as there's enough shrubby cover for the quail, then generally you, you might be able to find those. Um, but yeah, so I've, I've hunted a lot this, this fall, especially because now I have two dogs. So I have two dogs to get out. Um, I've, and I, I generally try for the slam every year and I completed it the second year. And then I just completed it this year. And, um, you know, every, every year has been a little bit different. And so, this year, the, the grouse numbers were a little, they have decreased a little bit just because with the drought, there wasn't as much um, brood protect or production. So numbers have been down a little but um, but we were still able to find them. And so I went out um, with a ladies group um, early September. The season starts September 1. And we were able to get into a group of chickens right away. Um, I harvested one from that group and another girl harvest. We also then got into some sharp tails a few minutes later and another girl harvested a sharp tail. And so in that instance, they were in the same field, um, but generally they're not. So you kind of have to um, travel to different areas of the state. The panhandle has a lot more of the sharp tail grouse. And so I went out there, worked, um, hunted with some, some coworkers and did not come away with a bird that time. Um, but then I went out uh, about a month later and was able to harvest a sharp tail after, after several attempts. That's, that's kind of the thing with grouse hunting is they fly really, really far. And so once you kick them up, that might be your only opportunity because they will fly, you know, they can fly, you know, a, a mile or more. And so it just depends on the area sometimes they'll fly and you can see where they landed and then you just go there um but that's a lot of walking you put on a lot of miles i i probably have um i've probably walked over 200 miles um just this fall trying to chase those grouse and um they're really good at i've kind of finally figured out how to cook them as well and so they're it's a really really good um red meat almost um as opposed to like a pheasant and um, so it's been good to eat and um, it's good to exercise. And my dogs are really, really happy and tired after I get done. So um, there's a lot of benefits. And, you know, even just, you know, we talk about like our, our kids and our work life and our, you know, home life. And that's it. That is what I do to relax is just go out, especially in the sand hills where there's really nothing. You know, I'll spend the entire day sun up to sundown just walking just for silence, you know, just to enjoy the peaceful, um, you know, the, the, just the peacefulness of it all and watch the dogs. So to me, that's, that's a, you know, big benefit. And then when I harvest the grouse, that's even better, but yeah, every day hunting is a good day. 
Awesome. Well, it sure sounds like it. Kelsey, I'm curious. We were talking about how um, in uh, Nebraska, it's like 97% privately owned. I think in Kansas, it's actually 98. So we're all really struggling on that front. Of those 200 and some walking miles you put in, how much of that was on private and how much of it was on public? Approximately. Um, yeah. Did you utilize both? I, d- I did. I utilized both. And um, and. So we have, I mean, it's kind of funny because we also have, you know, we farm and ranch. And so we have pheasants, quail, and chickens on our property. However, for the life of me, I can't hit them. I just, I don't know what it is. I've missed them every time. And they've been like super easy too. I even know, I mean, I know where they sleep. I know where they are. And I can't, (laughs) I can't hit them. Um, And so I've completed the entire slam on public ground for whatever reason that's, that seems to work. Awesome. <laughs> for me. What an accomplishment. And so, <laughs> yeah. So I've had much better luck um, on, on public ground. And yeah, so all those miles that I walked, um, the majority have them have been on public ground. And and again, some of it is just because I'm traveling. Um, I like to travel, go to the sand hills. That's rewarding. It's um, you know, it's quiet and and so that's where I prefer to hunt. Um, so, and, and all of that is on public ground. Kelsey, I have to ask too, um, one of the big conversations we've had recently, I know in Kansas is the idea of crowding, whether it's a real crowding issue or perceived by hunters. What has your experience been like hunting that public land in Nebraska? Um, have you run into crowding issues? What have your experiences been like interacting with other hunters? Yeah, that's a great question because if you read social media, it's like terrible sometimes <laughs> and you read the comments and, you know, a lot of it is like, oh, it's not worth going out. Everybody has already walked this. And I have not had that experience at all. I- I'm sure there are sites that get hunted heavily, but when I'm I'm trying to think, I haven't, the only time I was ever on a public site with another group that I didn't know was um, Saturday, the pheasant opener. And it wasn't a problem at all. I was able to get my pheasant and quail that day. And the other group, I mean, you could, we, they were on the opposite side of the field. And, you know, they were watching to see where I was going. And I was watching to see where they were going. And it, we just, you know, we made it work in the field and it wasn't a problem. That's so great to hear. I know, like you, Kelsey, I am an adult onset hunter. And one of the things that when I started out made me extremely nervous was what my interactions would be like with other hunters when hunting public land. And um, like you, I have been pleasantly surprised. Usually I pull up and there's not anybody else there. If they are there, they're extremely friendly. Hey, did you do any good? I saw something back this way. You might check it out. So I'm glad that you had a good experience there. And I hope that encourages our listeners. If you have any hesitations about getting out and utilizing public land in any of our states, um, we definitely encourage you to get out there and try it. Safety, of course, should always be top of mind, paramount, but it's good to hear that um, your experience overall, Kelsey, has been extremely positive. Explore the roads, yeah. explore uh, the state around you. You know, that there is some competition, sure, in uh, the population and the, the number of hunters in some of those uh, public areas that are real close to our larger communities. But, I mean, honestly, what we see is you've traveled like a 10 more miles, sometimes even five more miles, and explore a different public lands. It's wide open. 
right? So explore it, find somewhere new, uh, set a weekend aside and book yourself a hotel or go camping and find a public land that is away from a larger population of town. Yeah, and I um, I did that a little bit more this year than than ever, and part of it was just exploring. Um, I didn't hit sites expecting to hit a limit by any means, but I felt like you know I was already you know halfway across the state. I'm going to drive you know another 20 miles just to check this place out, and that's what I did. Um, you know, in October, I hit I hit quite a few new places just to just to try them, um, and that was. That was really that that again was really re- rewarding. Just just knowing, okay, so for next year, um, this site is is going to be good. Or when snow falls, this site might be a little bit better. And just so uh, um, just exploring different areas, so you know where to go for next time, um, because the site that you you know traditionally might hit, maybe other people are um, finding that they really like that site too. So now you have other opportunities. And I got to brag on Kansas a little bit. Um, you know, Kansas, we have our um, renowned walk-in hunting access program, but we also have Iweha, which um, a lot of times is around urban areas where a landowner might want to control the number of people that are accessing that property. And so that's a check-in system where maybe only three spots will be open for that area. You go and you can check in online or from your mobile device, and then um, that's kind of controlled access to that area. So it prevents any overcrowding, and it prevents that land being um, overutilized from the landowner's perspective as well. So definitely something to check out if you're a little bit weary or um, hot program in Kansas. All right. I got to talk about Iowa then. (laughs) Uh, I just want to encourage people. There's plenty of time still, you know, uh, Kelsey was lucky enough to get her Upland Slam already, but at least in Iowa, the season doesn't end till January. So you, you have plenty of time to get out there and to explore. So, so take that challenge of getting out and seeing some new country, seeing a new backyard. Um, here in Iowa, we have the, the hunting and access program. So you can get on, uh, you can get on private land that landowners have opened up for public access. Um, and we have maps and, and all that on the website, but you got plenty of time. Thanksgiving is a great time. You know, we have a couple extra days, hopefully, um, to get out and, and grab some family that you haven't seen in a while and get that dog out. That's going to be cooped up. Um, you know, the snow's fallen. So I know a lot of us have been inside the last couple of days. So get out, get them running and spend that time with your family outdoors because uh, there's, there's no better time than, than spending that time with them in the field. Um, And, and yeah, just excited to get out myself. We went out last weekend. It was like 20 or below. It was freezing cold and I couldn't feel my hands. But once we turned the corner on the field that we were hunting, it was beautiful and sunny and my attitude changed. Didn't see anything, but it was a great afternoon um, just out in the field. So um, learn from Kelsey, try and see if you can do it too. Here in Nebraska, the season is well open uh, through January. So like you said, Rachel, there's a lot of time to get out there and do it. It's only November. Like there's a lot of time you could do it during breaks, 
holiday gatherings, like just get out there or like Kelsey and I, we like to go out there by ourselves where it's peaceful and silent, right? So our, uh, if you want to learn more about Nebraska's Upland Slam program, the website to reach that at is outdoornebraska.gov backslash Upland Slam. And that's where you can learn more about the program. We'll drop that in the show notes as well. So you can click on that link and check out the uh, awesome prizes where you can enter in and just you know get out there and challenge yourself to something new this fall and winter. And Kelsey, along those lines, um, where should our listeners go to learn more about Pheasants Forever, Quail Forever, um, about some of the habitat initiatives you all offer? Yeah, um, so we have a state website, nebraskapf.com, and then uh, um, there's also the national website, pheasantsforever.org. Awesome. Kelsey, thank you so much. Before we wrap up today, is there any additional information you want to share with our guests, either about PFQF and all the great work that you do, or just um, anything about your personal life, any advice you have? We would love to hear it. Sure. Yeah. Um, I would just say, yeah, and especially, you know, coming off of that ladies weekend too, um, don't be afraid to try new things and ask, you know, there's, there is a ton of resources out there um, that you can ask for help, ask for advice. Um, but I've always found that um, I learn best just doing it, you know, just going out on my own, trying to figure it out, um, ask questions. And so don't, you know, don't be afraid to do that. And it is absolutely something you can do. And just, you know, try, try new things, other, you know, even if it's first um, deer hunting or um, squirrel hunting, you know, we've run into some ladies that started that way. And then, you know, eventually uh, going after those birds, it's, um, it's really fun and rewarding. So don't, don't be afraid to just try new things and jump in. That's fantastic advice. Kelsey, thank you so much for all of the information you've shared today. Um, it's inspiring to hear from you. It's exciting to learn about all of PFQF's wonderful opportunities and initiatives and the ways that you all help support the landowners and help support the habitat as well. So we really appreciate you coming on today. All right. Thank you again for the invite. She Goes Outdoor followers. It was another great episode headed your way and Rachel and Tana, another great episode. I'm so glad that we are finally, our schedules are working out to pump these out weekly again. There's just so much information that we want to share with our listeners. And, you know, listeners, make sure that you're catching all these episodes. Simply just subscribe to uh, the podcast by on your favorite podcast app. That's all you got to do. Follow us on Facebook. We instantly drop those new episodes in our Facebook and that's, it's as easy as that, and it'll drop straight to your phone every time we drop a new episode. So listeners, we thank you again, and we will see you outdoors. Outdoors.